warned. I just learned some new dance moves. Just saying. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that was mentioned in the announcement video is the potlucks that we have coming up. I cannot encourage you enough to sign up for one if you haven't yet. Uh, they are fantastic. Um, one, yeah. I haven't, all right, we're dancing now. Uh, they're fantastic. I highly encourage you to go. And we've also got small groups starting soon, so sign up for those. Uh, what happens on a Sunday morning is beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing, uh, but it's just one day. Uh, so by gathering together throughout the week in homes for potlucks, for small groups, uh, in homes, I say in homes, most of meet here, ours is going to meet at home, but it, it's another opportunity to connect, to really do life together, and to start getting into the messiness of life, um, because life happens uh, all week long. Um, speaking of messiness, we're back in Romans this morning, uh, 9 through 20. Um, so we're going to read that, and we're all going to take a deep breath because we'll see why. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The word of the Lord. So like I said, we're going to take a deep breath. And out. And remember what the Bible says about life. Um, this, is, this is actually a fun section. Um, I actually really love the law. And I love when the Bible talks about the law. I'm going to explain why. First is because we have to ask the question of why was the law given? When we talk about it, that's one of the first questions we have to ask is why did God give the law in the first place? And Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 is helpful. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression until the seed whom the promise, to whom the promise was made would come. The law was given so that we would know what sin is. God creates everything. He creates humanity. And then we fall, and then some time passes, and then he gives the law. And the, the purpose of that is so that we would know what sin is, and in knowing what sin is, we would know that we need a Savior. And it doesn't matter whether we know the law, like uh, the, the, the Jewish people had, or that we're more like the Gentiles, which we are, which is that it, he gives us a conscience, and things are written on our hearts that we're supposed to know. The purpose is that we know that we've violated something. Everybody's guilty. All fall short, the Bible says. But second, and this is the thing I love about the law, is the law was given because God loves. God loves his creation, so he gives the law. We think about the law, especially if you just jump in and you start reading in Leviticus, especially. You're just going to start reading and be like, this is harsh. But what we have to do is back up a little bit and remember, who is God giving the law to? He's giving it to his chosen people. God didn't create the law and then tell a group of people, hey, come here and do this. No, first he creates people. 
He creates a group of people. He saves them. He rescues them from slavery. And he says, you're in relationship with me. I'm going to make a, a covenant with you. And in that covenant, there are going to be things that I want you to do. But the law was given to people that he loved, people that were already in relationship with him. And the third is the law keeps us safe. We think of freedom as being able to do whatever it is we want to do, but that's not freedom, that's anarchy. I can get in my car when I leave and drive however I want. Chaos. People will get hurt. Possibility people will die. I'll get in trouble. But if I follow the rules, I have freedom. I have freedom to do whatever I want in my truck if I follow the rules. The law was given to keep us safe. The law was not and is not wrong. It was given so that we would know what sin is. It was given because he loves us, and it was given to keep us safe. That's why we have the law. The next question we have to ask is, what is the law? A lot of people, if you ask them what the law is, they're going to say the Ten Commandments, and that's a starting point. The Ten Commandments are the, uh, the, the ten sayings, or really the ten utterances of God. It's ten things that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai and said, bring these to the people and tell them this is how they're supposed to interact. It's, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal or kidnap. That's a fun word in there. Do not give false testimony and do not covet. And we think, uh, anybody seen the, the Ten Commandments movie, Charleston Heston? My gosh, what a movie. Oh, when I was young, every Easter, I sat in front of the TV and watched that movie. I had no idea what anything was about. Never had been to church in my life, but I loved that movie. Charlton Heston comes down on the mountain. He's got them stone tablets looking all Charlton Heston-like. People are sinning out of control, and he smashes the tablets, right? We think that's the law, but it's not. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. But there's an interesting way of reading that, too, because, again, we think of the two stone tablets as having five on one and five on the other, but really in ancient cultures, what happened is when a king would come in and take over a people, he would do something like this. Today, he would write the, the, uh, the, the covenant, the treaty, on two tablets. And he would give one to the people that he was taking over, and he would take one back with him. So at all times, both groups of people knew exactly what was required for this relationship. There's an interesting way of reading the Ten Commandments uh, that a lot of Jewish scholars say is the right way to do it, and that it's not a list of ten, but pairs uh, five pairs of two. And so what would happen is on the front of the tablet, it had, uh, for example, the first one, uh, believe in God and do not, uh, no, sorry, uh, let me back up. I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. And then on the back was command number six, do not murder. And what we have then is a, a set of, of five things where God's teaching us how to relate to him and how to relate to other people. So if we read it that way, what we'd have is, Number one and number six, believe in God and do not murder. Because to wrongly kill is to take the life of someone who's made in the image of God. It's, it's the ultimate blasphemy. Number two would match with number seven, do not make an idol and do not commit adultery. This is fidelity and loyalty. That idolatry against God is making an idol. It's taking something and putting it before him. And adultery in marriage is the same thing. It's taking something and putting it in the place of your spouse. We're called to be loyal. Three would match with number eight. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain and do not steal again or kidnap. This one's really interesting because 
to take the name of the Lord in vain is to use it improperly. And we're not just talking about a cuss word, right? We all, and we all know what I'm talking about, that like some people use the name of the Lord as a, as a cuss word, and, but it's anything where we take the name of God and put it where it doesn't belong. And to steal or to kidnap is to take something that doesn't belong to you and treat it as if it did. Number four would match with number nine. Remember the Sabbath and do not give false testimony. Remember what's true and what's right. The purpose of keeping the Sabbath was to remember that God created everything. We are made in his image. We can trust him to lead us as he sees fit. And do not give false testimony. Let your words be honest. Number five would match with number 10. Honor your father and mother and do not covet. Are the students in here for that one? Honor your father? No, we already let them go. To rearrange the schedule. But really, to honor your father and mother is to, to, to honor what you have, to what God has given you, to the place that he has put you in life. And to not covet is to not be so concerned with what you don't have and appreciate what you do have. Now, again, I'm not saying this is how we have to read the Ten Commandments, but it is an interesting way to do it. And it shows us that they're not some abstract set of rules and lists that God created. He's teaching us how to relate to him and how to relate to other people and that they're really the same thing. But the Ten Commandments are not the full law. They're just the beginning. Paul summarizes the law in, verse, the law in the verses we read there, but the fullness of the law has about 613 commands. 248 are do this commands. 365 are don't do this. And they're very specific. Like they're so specific that people, they have to be specific because people use the law to one, justify themselves, which we're going to talk more about, but also because they want to be right with God. So if it says don't do this, I want to make sure I don't do that. So for example, have you ever heard of a Shabbat elevator? It's a really interesting thing, and it can be any elevator. It's just a little setup they do to it, it runs on the Sabbath and it stops at every floor because some people were concerned that pushing a button was work and they didn't want to violate the law. So a Shabbat elevator is created. Because of things like that, we end up with so many different commands because God had to keep going, okay, let me clarify one more time. Don't whatever. The law is clear, but we justify ourselves. And one reason the law has so many commands is because we complicate it and try to justify ourselves. Think of a little kid. Uh, we don't do this now, but my mom used to send me to the store all the time. Anybody else? Little kid, maybe 10 years old. Here's $10. Go find a store and get some milk. Right? So I'm a good boy. I go to the store and I buy some milk. I got some change left over. I buy some candy. I come home. Next time my mom sends me to the store, it's not just go to the store and get milk. That's one command. Now it's go to the store, get some milk, bring me home my change, and don't buy anything else. Not a problem, mom. I don't know why you're being so specific. I go to the store. I buy the milk. I get the change. I don't buy anything else. On the way home, I decide to go to my friend's house for an hour or so. Next time she sends me to the store, go to the store, buy some milk, don't buy anything else, bring me home my can change, and come straight home. And it continues, and it continues, and it continues. It does that because we're, we're thick. We want to justify ourselves. I come home with a candy bar. You didn't say I couldn't buy a candy bar. Me and my wife have a very clear system of when we make a decision about something. Because one time she told me to do what I want, and I did. 
I said, I want to buy this motorcycle. She said, do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> I bought a motorcycle. I come home with a motorcycle. What's that? You told me to do what I want. She goes, I didn't mean that. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm a very literal person, especially if there's a motorcycle involved. We justify ourselves. We want to be able to say at the end of it, I was right. And we've said it before, we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our motives. The law is really simple. Jesus, and this, Jesus didn't make this up. He's just bringing this from the past and reminding the people. Jesus reminds us that we can summarize the law this way. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, all of them came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest law which, which command is the greatest in the law? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depends on these two commands. We love God, we love others. We can boil everything down to that, and we're still going to get it wrong at times. Because the point is that we can't get it right. As human beings, like I said, we love to justify ourselves. We love to, to, to be able to say, I'm right. But the purpose of the law is to make us realize that we're not. The purpose of the law is to make us have an honest assessment about ourselves and who we really are. So the, the law of God is not a problem. Paul talks about this elsewhere as well. The law is good. The law is perfect. The, Lord, the law is right. The problem is us. The problem is that we break God's law. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the e should be the easiest one. All we have to do is love the one who created us. But we get that wrong. What's wrong with breaking God's law? Well, it's that we have to remember that he's God. He is the one who has set the moral code of the universe. And it is to him that we are accountable. The earth and the fullness thereof is the Lord. Psalms 24. It's his. We're supposed to see that he's created everything. We're supposed to understand that he has made things and that he has given us dominion and told us to, to live and flourish and, and, and multiply and, and love and grow and create things, and we ignore him. We fail to not just acknowledge him, we fail to keep his law. We ignore it for a variety of reasons, maybe because some of the things that God says we want to do. So we're just going to pretend he didn't say I couldn't do that, or we're going to find ways to justify it. We're going to find ways to say it's okay because of this, that, or anything else. Some of the things that God says don't do, it's, it's we, we really like that part. So we, we pick and choose what's best out of God's law as we see fit. We say, okay, love God, love others, I'll decide how to do that. But that doesn't work because Jesus says the law and the prophets depend on these two things. There's a lot of important stuff in between. The law is good. The law is meant to teach us. The law is meant to show us things. Now, you've probably heard people say, well, why do we, why do we follow this law and not this law? And I'm going to give you just a general rule of thumb that you can take into your Bible study today. Some laws and rules from God were for specific people at a specific place, at a specific time. If we want to know which laws apply to us, we just got to read the New Testament. That's it. They're all in there. Just read it. It's your homework this week. Read the whole New Testament. 
That's all we have to do is just pick up the book, read it, and go, okay, Jesus, you say don't do this. I, I, I guess I won't do that. But we don't like that. So instead, we make up our own rules. We decide what's good and bad. We decide what's right and wrong. We create a system where we're okay and everyone else has a problem that they need to fix. But at some point, that system that we create breaks down. And then we blame God. We say, God, how could you let this happen? God's saying, how could you let this happen? I was very clear with how I wanted you to behave. I was very clear with how I, I take care of widows and orphans. Did you miss that part? Forgive your neighbor. Did you forget that one? Don't covet. If you didn't spend so much time coveting, you wouldn't be broke so much. All these things. We find ways to create our system that we like, that makes us okay. And then when it fails, we blame God like he's the problem. But his law is right. His law is true. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand all of God's law. I'll be further honest. I don't like all of God's law. But that tells me more about me than him. When I come against things in the law that I read that I don't like, when I come to something in the Bible and I go, I wish it didn't say this, that tells me a lot about myself. Second part, love your neighbor as yourself. This should be really easy. Love my neighbor as I love myself. Two problems. One, I don't think we love ourselves very well. And two, we're selfish. We're walking contradictions. Let me ask you a question. If you spoke to other people the way you spoke to yourself, would you have any friends? Like generally. How many times do I, in, in a week, do I say something to myself, God, you are terrible. What the heck is wrong with you? Seriously, how did you mess that up? Such a moron say these things to ourselves. If I, if I said these things to, to Brad, we wouldn't be friends. I'd be like, Mike is so mean. Well, I'm loving Brad like I love myself. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about being narcissistic. That's a whole other issue. But the reality is, is we do not generally love ourselves very well. God has forgiven us. We won't forgive us. We make a mistake, we put ourselves down. We, we, we lambaste ourselves constantly. We put ourselves down, tell ourselves that we're no good. And then we wonder why we have a hard time loving another person well. Because the person that we spend the most amount of time with, we are the meanest to. But we're also selfish. We're, we're selfish, and the problem with being selfish is all of a sudden, you can't love someone else well because they're an object. When you're selfish, when, you're, when it's all about you, when you're trying to get your way, when you're trying to get ahead, when it's about you and your money and, and your time and your pocketbook and your job and your car and your family and your whatever, you can't, you can't love someone else well because they're just either an object in your way for doing what you want or an object that you can use to get what you want. We can't love an object. The problem with, with loving our neighbor as ourself is that we first have to figure out how much God loves us. That we know that, that I know at the end of the day, but I've worked hard over the years, and I'm, not, I, I'm better at it, but I'm not where I want to be, of not putting myself down so much. 
I don't know if I might have shared this with you, but it's like a, it's a 10 to 1 ratio. Is that right, Joyce? You remember 10 to 1? 10 negative things. Uh, you, know, you have to say 10 positive things to every negative thing that is said. So we did it to ourselves in our house when kids were growing up. Our oldest. We have multiple children. But the oldest, <laughs> he's not watching. I don't care. He'd be like, Marcus, you're such, Marcus is our middle son. Jake, the oldest, be like, Marcus, you're such an idiot. So we, like, we don't really pay attention. But, like, when they were younger, they'd, like, they'd videotape each other, like, walking around the house doing nothing. I don't understand. But anyway, we would, like, then w- at some point, we'd walk back and we were watching them. And Marcus kept, or Jacob kept saying, like, all the time, Marcus, you're such an idiot. Marcus, you're such an idiot. Well, we, we were noticing is Marcus, this was a couple years later, Marcus would walk around calling himself an idiot all the time. That name had been given to him over and over and over again, so he claimed it as his own. He started using those own words for himself. So we have to learn who we are with God, that he has forgiven you. He does love you. He wants you. When we start to settle into that relationship, then we can love other people with that as well. And then we have to learn to not be selfish. And that just takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. But we don't want to do that because it's a lot of time and it's a lot of energy, so we're going to justify ourselves instead. Right? Remember, we decide what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. It's okay. Jesus says, love my neighbor, but I don't like that neighbor. I'm going to love that neighbor. He didn't say I had to love all my neighbors. He said, love your neighbor. I'm going to pick that one because they keep borrowing my tools. Whatever it takes for us to justify ourselves, whatever it takes for us to make ourselves right, that's what I want to be. I want to be right. This past week, I decided on top of my normal workouts and everything else, I'm going to add 10,000 steps a day. Monday, crushed it. Tuesday, crushed it. Wednesday, it's 9 o'clock at night. I am 1,000 steps to go. I am tired. I'm like, ah. I had already taken two walks. It was cold on Wednesday. Anybody remember the weather this week? I don't have a treadmill. I'm going to be outside. It was windy. I had already taken two walks. It's 9 o'clock. My watch only had like 8% battery life. Again, I'm justifying myself already. (laughs) I didn't even get to the justification part. So I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I'm just not going to make it. I open up my phone. And it, for some reason, my phone says my goal is 7,000 steps. So I'm like, well, I didn't hit 10, but I did hit my goal. It's okay. No. It's just me justifying myself. It's just me find wa- finding ways to justify ourselves. Because we want to justify ourselves in our actions. But the law exists to show us that we are wrong and cannot be made right by our own actions. We are our own problem. We can't fix it by being ourselves. The law is meant to show us the truth, like James says. James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For when he looks himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. We're supposed to look at the law of God. We're supposed to see the law. We're supposed to let it be a reflection to us, let it be a mirror. And we're supposed to not like what we see. It's a a true mirror. It's an accurate reflection of who we really are. If we hold up the law of God to ourselves and we look at it, we go, I see some things I don't like. I 
see some things that need work. We're supposed to be broken as we look at the law of God and say, that's not who I am. We're supposed to see it and say, I violated that. I've, I've violated that. Even if we just go to the Ten Commandments, I can pick all of them and go. And then Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've done these things in your heart. We're supposed to look at the law and we're supposed to weep. We're supposed to lament. We're supposed to cry out. We're supposed to feel a certain amount of despair because we understand not compared to anyone else. Comparison is, is, has no place here. It's you before God himself. And we look at it and go, I failed. Because God is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous in his dwelling place. There is nothing that can stand before him that is not 100% holy. And we're supposed to see that in the law and go, why did I do this? We're supposed to strip away the justification that we have for ourselves and say, I'm wrong. That's the purpose of the law. That's why I love it. law is supposed to make us uncomfortable because it highlights our brokenness. We see how we've been selfish. We see how we use people as objects. We see how we've hated our neighbor, how we've squandered the good gifts of God. We see that we're sinners bound for hell. And then we see Jesus. We see the truth of who we are with all of that. And then we see Jesus and he offers us salvation. That we are the, the broken ones weeping at the cross on our knees saying, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus comes and says, I have so much for you. And it's more than just not going to hell. It's not fire insurance. It's, it's that you will be reconciled to the Father. I have come to bring you life to the fullest that you did not even know existed. We, we, we're constantly growing in the knowledge and the grace of what it means to walk in the fullness of salvation and the fullness of the gospel. Just like, just like a, a child, like uh, friends of ours had a little boy, he's like four years old at the time, and he was constantly getting married to this little girl. Constantly. Walk around the hall. That's my wife. Not my kid. In his mind, he had an understanding of what it meant to be married. He could have no, he had no comprehension of what real marriage is. As we continue to walk in the gospel, as we continue to, to find ways where the, uh, the law highlights something in us that we don't want there, we start to walk in new newness and, and greater fulfillment of the gospel. And we start to walk in these things, and all of a sudden we start to see that I had no comprehension that I could even be to this place. The gospel... Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38 says, When they heard this, they were pierced to their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe, and that belief causes change, and that change is called repentance, and then that we turn from our former way of living and try to stop justifying ourselves and stop making ourselves right in our own eyes. And instead we go, Jesus, I'm just going to follow after you and, and whatever you want me to do. That's the purpose of the law. That's why I love the law. 
It highlights my need for my Savior. So anytime I think that I've got it all together, I can look back to the law and go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The law shows me who I am. And then Jesus shows me who he is. And everything changes. When we become his, all of the sudden, we belong to the kingdom of God. And now we become people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who not only desire the law. Now, we don't, we don't follow the law. We're not under the law. We are under grace. But by God's Holy Spirit, we desire to, to love God. We desire to, to honor God. We desire to, to have a right relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit. And then we have these interpersonal relationships, and now we have a desire to live rightly with those around us. That all of a sudden, it's not a burden to love that neighbor. It's an opportunity. It's not a burden to, to, to do things, to, to, to sign up to serve at like the, uh, the, the video, I can't remember the name of that, Night to Shine. All of a sudden, that's an opportunity for me to love my neighbor as myself. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 and 29 says, Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Paul's talking about how this is who we become when we follow the Messiah. I'll be honest, when I was, when I was in my teenage years, in my younger 20s, I... I had quite the issue with stealing. Quite the issue with, with, with lust, with, with all these problems. I come to Jesus and he says, I made you new, now walk in that newness of life. Don't steal. Work hard. Be honest. Be truthful. And we get to go, I can't. And he goes, I know. I'm going to help you. We have the band come up. John chapter 10 Verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus promises that his sheep hear his voice if we're listening. My, my, my kids, they're all older now, but when they were younger, they knew the sound of my footsteps. I think many dads, especially usually dads, can attest to this. Your kids know the sound of your footsteps. You walk in the room when they're misbehaving, you don't even have to say anything. They just hear. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And so my question this morning, we go into a time of responses, do you hear his voice? Do you hear the Savior sweetly and gently whispering your name? Saying, come. Come to me. Receive what I have for you. I have life for you. I have hope. I have forgiveness. I have redemption. going to have our prayer teams come up, and if that's you, if you hear the Savior's voice calling you to repentance and to belief, 
I'm going to ask that you pray with me. We're going to close our eyes. And if this is you, you just, right where you are, you can just pray. myself. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord, that you died for my sins, and that you rose again. Help me to walk in your way. Amen. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, then then go and repent. Find people to connect with. Sign up for a small group. Come up to, to, to in the front or to the back to get prayer. For others, if if you heard the Savior's voice and you know that you have a relationship with him, you know that you walk with him, you know that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but you also know that you don't want him having too much space because he's going to rearrange some things and you know you don't want him there. I really want to encourage you to pray in that way. So respond as the Lord leads.